Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, your weekly fix of all things royal. I'm Jo Eldon and each week we gather together the latest royal news and the greatest, greatest royal commentators and we bring it to you right here from Mail Plus HQ. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Well, popularity polls are back and the solitary Sussexes aren't going to like it. Prince Andrew's back in the headlines and guess what? It's for all the wrong reasons. And the Queen returns to duties following a period of mourning. But first to the happy news the family are marking this week. It's 10 years since Prince William married the then Kate Middleton at Westminster Abbey. Earlier we spoke to the Daily Mail's royal editor Rebecca English to find out how the happy couple have been celebrating. Well, yes, they got married 10 years today, unbelievably. I can't, I can't even fathom the fact that 10 years ago I was sitting in Westminster Abbey watching them walk down the aisle, but they did. And um, hopefully by the time you watch this programme, you will be seeing a really lovely new portrait of them issued to mark the occasion in the Daily Mail. And Rebecca, it hasn't all been candlelit dinners, has it? They've been out and about and hard at work. Yes, they have been out and about on what we call a Royal Away Day, which we don't see very often at the moment because of COVID. They went up to County Durham, which is in the northeast of England, and they undertook a day of engagements there. Their first stop was to a farm where they chatted to local farmers about uh, generational farming in the area and also the impact that COVID has had on them and how they are developing more eco-friendly methods of farming. And then in the afternoon, they went to uh, the really wackily named Cheesy Waffle Project. Now, there's something very special about that, not just the name, I have to say. And that's because it is funded by an organisation called The Key. And 10 years ago, it was one of 26 charities that benefited from money uh, that was raised as a result of the royal wedding. William and Kate asked for no wedding presents, uh, but they asked people to donate to charity instead. And the key received £33,000 as a result of that, which makes a big difference to small organisations such as themselves. And they were able to employ a new member of staff and to expand their work uh, as a result. And one of those projects they helped was Cheesy Waffles, which helps young adults with learning difficulties. And they had a fabulous time on this visit. They even got involved in playing a bit of golf and were quite competitive about it. I think William really quite enjoyed the fact that Kate absolutely fluffed her first shot. Um, and they did some arts and crafts and chatted with some of the young people that had been helped by the project. And a couple of them had been undertaking the Duke of Edinburgh Awards and William spoke to them and said how much it would have meant to his late grandfather to have heard about how well they'd been doing. You've been working alongside the Cambridges for some time now, Rebecca. Have, how have you seen William and Kate grow and develop as a couple and as royals? And do you think that there's been anybody guiding them through that process? I mean, they have changed a lot. I mean, that's inevitable over a decade, of course. Um, but you've seen Kate grow in confidence and you've seen William grow in stature, I would say, as a kind of blossoming international statesman. So William had a really clear vision about the way he wanted their married lives to be. 
Uh, he didn't want to throw Kate straight into the kind of bare pit of royal life and take on full-time royal duties. And at the time, I have to say, people like me were quite surprised at that and, and probably somewhat critical. But actually, I think he has won the day because they went off to live as, uh, you know, a happily married couple in relative privacy when he was working for the RAF. And I think it gave them time to get to know each other and to feel comfortable with the way they wanted their lives to move forward. Um, so I think, you know, their lives have been very much driven by William, but I, I know there has been other input as well. So, for example, I can reveal, I know over the years that the Duke of Edinburgh frequently wrote to the Duchess and uh, while we don't know the contents of those letters, um, he has written to other members of the royal family, talking about the duties, praising them, encouraging them. And I know they meant a lot to her. So I suspect she has had input from the Duke of Edinburgh, but also from the Queen. You know, she's felt very able to go and talk to the Queen about what she does. And I, I wrote a piece for Weekend magazine uh, for the Daily Mail last week in which uh, a former royal staffer told me that when they went on their first tour just after they got married uh, to Canada they were in Ottawa and we saw scenes akin to Beatlemania um, but the first thing she did the next morning was kind of pop her head around the door and say am I doing okay and they were like did you not see what we saw yesterday but they said there was a great humility about Kate and a willingness to learn and a willingness to make sure she was doing things in a way that was appropriate for the royal family. So I think it's been quite a, a big collaborative process as well. In their 10 years as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, they've gone from a camera shy young couple to a pair who can handle their major royal roles. The Daily Mail's editor-at-large Richard Kay has been taking a closer look at that Cambridge success story. They've come a very long way. I mean, they were stumbling. Uh, Kate was painfully shy. She deferred constantly to, to William. Um, no one really knew what she sounded like until she gave that, that first interview and everything seemed very stilted and she was very nervous. Um, and now you compare them, I mean, it, it's they're a different couple really and they're, they're different people. Uh, they've grown in confidence, um, they've grown into the job. Perhaps we thought because they were young and glamorous and had, a, and had quite a racy crowd at the time they were courting that we thought this would somehow be uh, transformed into how they went about their royal lives, that they'd be holding um, rather attractive soirees and parties at Kensington Palace. But it's not like that with, with William and Kate. Um, they're much more uh, low-key. Um, there's a, a steeliness, if you like. They know there's enormous amount of interest in their lives, and they've done extremely well to sort of erect walls around that. They've kept their private lives private. They haven't complained and whinged about press intrusion, as we know a certain other royal couple have. They've just got on with it. And they seem to have managed expectation incredibly well, despite the huge influence of, of his late mother and, of course, the Prince of Wales, William's role model is the Queen. It's his grandmother. It's about how she's gone about royal duty that he's imparting to, to his wife and how they go about theirs. By the nature of what's happened to the monarchy this year or to the royal family this year, there has been, by necessity, a sort of a coming together between uh, Charles and his son. I mean, the two have quarreled furiously over the years. Um, William is not going to follow his father's route as Prince of Wales. He'll do things very differently. Um, his attitude is more, you know, we'll show people what we can do rather than what they should be thinking. 
Um, I was surprised a little that he was so strong on this controversy over the Super League, but he was, he was pushing at a, an open door. I mean, the entire country was behind him. It's quite different from some of the stances that the Prince of Wales has adopted over the years. Charles is going to need William badly. Without Harry, he'll need um, his number one son to support him in the, in the coming years. I mean, Charles is ever closer to the throne. He's taking on more and more of, of his mother's responsibilities. Inevitably, that means William has to take on more of his father's responsibilities. The future in William and Kay's hand, it looks, looks good. Looks good for the monarchy and looks good for the, for the wider well-being of, of the royal family. Um, they're clearly um, devoted to their children. They're going to put them first and foremost. I think it's made a, a huge difference that that William was allowed to pursue a career before he became a full-time royal. I think it gave them fantastic time to, 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 to establish those important parental roots with their children. And I think, incidentally, it's, it's one reason why no one is, is shying more away from this idea of, of the crown skipping a generation uh, to, to William than William himself. He wants the next 10 or 15 years as a dad, principally, before he has to worry about the obligations of being king. But eventually he will be king. And I think with, with Kate as queen at his side, um, the royal family will, will be immensely popular, not just here, but right around the world. You can read more of Richard Kay's excellent royal writing in the Daily Mail this weekend, which is taking readers back through some of the biggest royal moments the paper has covered, all to celebrate the Mail's 125th birthday. Happy birthday, The Mail. To discuss this and all our other stories today, I'm joined today by The Mail's Saturday diary editor, Richard Eden, and his Mail on Sunday counterpart, Charlotte Griffiths. Welcome to you both. Richard, I'm going to start with you. You in the hot seat. What do you think is the secret of Kate and William's successful marriage? Well, I think on a personal level, um, it helps that they got to know each other over such a long period. You know, they met at university, of course, and they had that period away from the cameras. There was no intrusion or anything like that, and they were able to get to know each other properly. They had their ups and downs, which we all know about. You know, at one point they did split up, but I think that made them stronger. And, and it really was having such a long courtship. You know, there was a bit of kind of criticism of weighty Katie, the way she was having to sort of hang around and wait for an engagement proposal. But I think it did pay off that long time they waited. Remember, Princess Diana um, said openly that she'd only met Prince Charles 13 times before they got married. I mean, can you imagine? So they really didn't know each other at all. Maybe it would be better if she'd met him 14 times. <laughs> Maybe it would have been completely different. Uh, exactly. So, yeah. you know, I think that, but then on a professional level, I think it's their teamwork, really, that they have been... Um, fantastic at working with each other and there's there's none of the sort of jealousy you might expect when um sort of kate gets all the attention um you know william happily um accepts that and seems to sort of enjoy that fact really and they really come together um excellently as a team but then they also do engagements on their own so they've really found a very successful modus operandi and um you know, it seems to be now at the very heart of the, the monarchy. Charlotte, we don't know a lot about William and Kate off the public stage, do we? We don't, you know, we don't see a lot of their 
in the lives. We don't see them going out to dinner with mm. friends, going to parties, that sort of thing. Is, is it because are they deliberately low key or do they not have any friends? <laughs> what, what, what's the strategy? There? No, they've got lots of friends. They are big on the shooting circuit. Um, they are big in the Norfolk sets, so the turnip top, toffs. Um, but they don't do celebrity, the royals. There's a sort of unwritten royal, uh, rule that um, celebrity is not something they're interested in and uh, they can't really trust celebrities as much as they can trust their inner circle of sort of Norfolk dwelling low-key friends and they do have wild parties on these shooting weekends it's just that you know they're behind you know stately home palace walls sort of thing have you been to any of those I've been to a couple. Oh, what can you tell us? Let's get Charlotte a drink and find out more. I can say they get wild. <laughs> oh, to be, to be continued. Uh, Richard, how do you see their royal roles developing in the future? Well, I think they've already started to change. And, and we've noticed that since the departure of Harry and Meghan, that it really is William and Kate sort of on their own. You know, they're the future. And I think even when... Prince Charles becomes king. Um, William's very much that king in waiting and he'll be consulted. And we talked on last week's programme about how um, William is being a bit more strident, taking more of a sort of political role when he, we saw that when he intervened over the proposals for a football super league. And he, he really is sort of finding his feet um, and will be more and more central, I think. Mm. It's fascinating. We'll be continuing to watch that space, of course. But from the golden couple to the black sheep now, and I am not talking about Harry. Shame on you for thinking that. But Andrew, again, he was back on the front pages this week after it emerged. He was working with a former banker at Coots who quit after allegations of sexual harassment were made against him. Back to Rebecca English now, who can give us more on this. So tell us, Rebecca, what do you know about this Coots banker and his involvement with Prince Andrew? Well, this story was broken by The Times earlier on this week, and it basically involves the setting up of an unlimited company by and for Prince Andrew for his private family investments. Now, what you need to know, first of all, about an unlimited company is they don't have to disclose their accounts with the company's house, and they don't have to say how much money they're making or losing. So there's always a little bit of suspicion about them, and it was set up with the help of a man called Harry Keogh, who was a senior banker at Coots, the Queen's Bank, but left a couple of years ago amid a great flurry of very serious allegations of sexual harassment. Now, we must stress that he's never been able to discuss those allegations publicly because he signed a non-disclosure agreement with the bank. Um, so we have to kind of look it in that, in, in, in that context. But again, it's brought some pretty unwelcome scrutiny of the Duke of York and what he's doing outside of public life. Now, he's been said to be a friend and advisor to the Duke, quote unquote. It's been said before that Andrew isn't that great at picking his friends wisely. Is this another example of that? Well, I know sources close to the Duke of York say this is a bit of an unfair story and that there is nothing untoward in what he's done. It's a perfectly legal process setting up this unlimited company and this person concerned has been a friend and a banking advisor for many years. But I, I think what we've seen, and this is what his critics pick up on, is that being a member of the royal family puts you in a really unique position in public life. And as a result, you are subject to probably greater scrutiny than anybody, rightly or wrongly. And Andrew doesn't seem to quite get that. You know, anything he does, he, he's really got to understand that it's going to be looked through an extra strong prism. Um, and again, as I said, it, it's brought this kind of unwarranted focus 
on Andrew and, you know, his private financial dealings. And I think they feel that this is something he could well do without at the moment, particularly, of course, concerning the ongoing furore over what's seen as his very unwise friendship with the um, convicted paedophile and billionaire financier, Jeffrey Epstein. And this week, there was the news that his old job as patron of the Royal Philharmonic has now been reallocated. Can we read anything into that, do you think? Andrew was patron of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra for 15 years. Um, And when he announced he was going to step back, um, however temporarily or not, from public life in November 2019, um, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra was one of the organisations he actually parted company with pretty quickly. Um, It's taken them this long to appoint another patron. Uh, That patron is the Prince of Wales, who's long, as we know, been a supporter of the arts and has been particularly vocal about the challenges they faced during the coronavirus crisis. So I think... I think what it shows, I mean, someone's suggesting that this shows that Andrew is never going to return to public life. I don't think it shows that because obviously he'd already parted company with him. But I I think it does show how far he's fallen from grace. And I do think that is an indication that it's going to be very difficult for him to return to any meaningful public role in the future. Charlotte, it's, it's absolutely staggering that here we are again with the whiff of scandal around Prince Andrew, you'd think he'd be a bit more wise to this sort of situation happening, wouldn't you? I do. I I think he surrounds himself with people who sort of blow smoke up his, shall we say, backside. And I I mean, you know, look at Fergie. She publicly worships him. And behind the scenes, I gather she's like this. She just tells him he's wonderful all the time. And his daughters, okay, fair enough. They think their dad's wonderful. He's their dad. But but Beatrice, for example... um, plays close attention to what he does and what things he accepts. Um, for example, she was apparently involved in the Panorama interview. She was backstage. She thought it had all gone swimmingly, told him it was a good idea. Um, and really no one seems to say no to him. But then there are these checks and balances further up the line, which do catch him out, as has happened in this case. But in his immediate circle, I think everyone just tells him he's great all the time. That's a rather dangerous situation to be in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't want that, but... Um, Richard, I'm rather amused by this rumour that Netflix is struggling to find somebody to play him in the next series of The Crown. (laughs) Yeah, I find this hard to believe, but there is a bit of evidence for this, that they've actually advertised the role on um, Spotlight, the um, sort of service for, you know, attracting new actors, um, which they, they don't usually do. Um, well, which, Netflix are denying the rumour, but I, I mean, can't help enjoying it anyway. I mean, Netflix pay very well, Netflix. I'm sure there'll be lots of actors who'd want to play it, but I think it was more about the physical resemblance. They needed some actors who, you know, looked a bit like Andrew to take the role. But, um, yeah, I mean, would it be a bit embarrassing? You don't want to be mistaken for Andrew, perhaps, do you, on, on the street? Well, type, well, you might get shouted at a bit in the street while the crown is on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they could be oh. quite a fun role to play, I would have thought. Yeah, but you'd want it to end there. Uh, 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 and it might not if you're an actor. <laughs> now, I don't know who wants to jump in on this one, but the Royal Watchers have been looking for clues about what Andrew's future role will be and what he'll be doing with the Royal family. And this Philharmonic role sort of like being sort of like reallocated would be a rather strong indication of his standing within the Royal duties 
What, what, what are your thoughts? Well, something very interesting about this is that so Prince Charles has agreed to be patron of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, but he's already patron, has been since 1980, of the, the rival Philharmonia Orchestra. And he's... Um, That's confusing. Yeah, he's, he's, he's their <laughs> yeah. patron and, yeah. and they're very proud of it. And he's very useful when it comes to fundraising. So I hear that noses are also joined to bit at the um, Philharmonia, that they've now got Charles as their rival too. And the reason this is happening is because there's all these roles to be filled. We're seeing it with, after the death of Prince Philip, mm. but also with roles that previously were held by Prince Andrew. And there are very few royals to take them because the older generation, the Duke of Kent, Duke of Gloucester, and these ones are not taking on any new roles. But there's, there's a limited number of people. So it is a problem. If they want to have royal patrons, who do they get? And with, you know, all the speculation about Charles looking to streamline the front line of the royal family. I think there'll be a lot of organisations will end up with no royal yeah, patron. Yeah. That's the thing. Those two things are incompatible. They're short-staffed yet they're streamlining the royal family. So it's going to be a lot of work for, say, William and Kate. I mean, a lot more work. And they've got three kids, so... I well, it's, I think about, it's about time Prince George started pulling his weight down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, no, come on, Princess Beatrice, Princess Eugenie, your time has come. You know, we want them to start taking these royal roles. So that... <laughs> but do they have the star power? This is something we've, we've questioned a lot on this programme. Yeah. Yeah. I think they'd be great, but um, give them a chance, is what I say. Okay. Give B a chance. Let's stick with Andrew for a moment now. And this week, YouGov revealed the results of their royal survey or popularity poll, if you like. And Richard, Andrew is still rock bottom. I am absolutely gobsmacked. One feels that there needs to be a definitive decision about his future. Well, I think from what I read, yes, he's at the bottom, but he's pretty close to Megan, isn't he, in the sort of unpopularity stakes among British um, Didn't he go subjects. up a little bit on, in popularity? Yeah, I think he went up a bit, you know, sort of sympathy after Prince Philip's death, oh, yeah. and we yeah. heard him speak very eloquently, um, along with Prince Edward, who's had a bit of a boost. Um, I don't think the royal family pay too much attention to these sort of things, but... Um, well, luckily we're here to do that. <laughs> uh, Charlotte, with Meghan and Harry both losing favour with yeah. the public, particularly Meghan, I believe, a sign that maybe their, their move to America was the right one. They're better at impressing American media companies and moguls than they are the British public. No, the reason their popularity has gone down is because they moved to America in, and, and did it in such a, in such a incendiary way. Um, you know, the, I think the British public just do not approve of disloyalty. And on the face of it, he's just been very disloyal to his family. And uh, to think that even Andrew went up in the polls, but Meghan went down. I mean, this is not, you know, she's not in good company. Yet. She's the only one that went down other mm. than Prince Harry. Do we really think Harry and Meghan would care, though? I just think that their, their focus is so much on America now, isn't it? I well, you'd be surprised. I mean, they, as we know, they're incredibly thin-skinned. I, I wouldn't put it past them to keep an eye on this kind of thing, mm. although they pretend they never read the papers. Do you see this new uh, alignment with the Vax Live charity as something that might sort of like elevate their, their standing with the British public again? Um, that's a, a very good them? cause. They're involved. They're, they're going to appear at this um, Vax Live concert. It's th this Sunday, I believe, and it's got lots of pop stars and um, celebrities. But my heart did sink, really, when I saw the sort of trailer for this event. And you hear sort of, you know, Harry and Meghan just lined up with these various celebrities that they really it just feels like they've left, um, you know, all the sort of royal background. And they're now just mm -hmm. another Hollywood celebrity. And remember, I, I think it's being organised by their PR people, Sunshine Sachs. I think mm. they're very much involved in this event. 
and they've sort of got them along as part of it. And it's just, I don't know, it's all a bit It's just sort of like, look, as in who they got in the cupboard. Yeah. Bring yeah. them out, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I, d mm. I don't think it's really great for them, but it is a good cause. Let's not... Um, you know, do down the cause. They're trying to spread um, vaccine availability for everyone um, around the world. So it, it's a good cause. Yeah, they are, they're all about service now, obviously. But the, what the poll shows is that we don't really want them to be doing all this service because they're not very popular. So although they've dedicated their life to service, is there any appetite, back at home anyway, is there any appetite for them to be doing us all such a massive favour all the time? Well... Here's one I didn't see coming. Prince Edward, let me get this right, has seen the largest increase in positive opinion rising from 41% of Britons in March to 54%. What has Edward been doing that suddenly... Well, is it because he was so low in the first place? I mean, I don't want to be too cruel, but... You, you, you cynic, you cynic. Um, I think it's because, honestly, I honestly don't think... We obviously know who he is, but not that many people know exactly which one he is. I'm sure of that. But he did... Um, he and his wife, Sophie, did... Um, put on a good show after Prince Philip died and she said some very touching things actually and it, you know they are they're just in the background working hard I think people appreciate that um, mm. and it's quite the contrast to say Meghan and Harry you know mm. they just get on and they work now the Queen is still Richard our firm favorite <laughs> see what I did there mm -hmm. um, she's been out and about this week after her mourning period officially ended for the after the death of Prince Philip is that do you think it is that steadfastness that keeps her at the top. It's just so reassuring, isn't it? I mean, you know, scarcely a fortnight after the death of her husband, you know, there she is, she's on this video call, um, smiling, you know, real brave smile and everything, meeting two new ambassadors to London and doing what she's always done. It's really service first and it's just, yeah, uh, reassuring and li lifts our spirits, I think. She wore a really spring-like dress, didn't she? Mm. She went from black to a really nice, bright dress and lots of smiles. I thought it was very touching. Making a real effort, I think, to, to lift people's spirits. Yeah, keeping us all cheered up. As, as, a, as an Antipodean outsider, there's something I find a bit sad about. Right, that's the morning period over. Yeah. Out you go. I mean, do, do you not think that there's... there's a, she must still be feeling quite low. Mm. Shows how shows how she has such a sense of duty that she can put on a smile and a brave face even two weeks after. And remember, um, you know, Prince Philip was um, 99. Um, you know, the Queen's lost so many of her dear friends over recent years. It's yeah. just what happens when you live to such a grand age, isn't it? She's and been working on her own for a few years now because he retired, obviously. So it's not like... Um, the first time I think she went out without Prince Philip, she shed a tear and it was caught on camera. Mm. Um, but, you know, that was preparation for a few years later what's happened now. Mm. Thank you very much. And with that, we've come to the end of our show, sadly. But if you want access to even more juicy royal news, you can sign up to the Palace Confidential newsletter right here on Mail Plus. Head to www.mailplus.co.uk slash palace hyphen newsletter. A big thanks to my guests, Rebecca English, Richard Kay, Richard Eden and Charlotte Griffiths. And of course, thanks to you for joining us. Goodbye. Goodbye.